RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into Rush the Field College Football Podcast alongside veteran scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and Chris, have you come up for air yet now that the <laughs> NFL draft is over? I have come up for air. I've taken a couple of naps, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it is one of those things. You know, after the draft gets over, uh, helping teams, signing free agents, it's pretty deep into Saturday night and Sunday, and getting all these undrafted free agents, um, getting them opportunities, finding really good fits for teams. And then, you know, the whole tryouts where now you can bring players in for tryouts, not sign them, but give them an opportunity and see if they could earn a spot. Um, it's a really important time, you know, and 31% of an NFL roster is made up of undrafted free agents. Just mm. do the numbers when you go into you know, getting 80, 90 players. So it, it is a busy time, a fun time um, for a lot of folks, but a disappointing time for a lot. You know, only 7,300 classmen out of over 100 that declared. So I know we'll get into that. So there's some good and some bad involved with the whole draft process. Yeah, I want, I want to talk about the underclassmen in just a minute. And don't forget, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Landry Football. You follow me at Scott's on Air. Before we get into some of the underclassmen and the inability to get drafted or the teams not taking them, and we've talked about this at length because of the uh, situation that goes on where these these evaluators give them grades, and we all, we know the system's faulty, but I wanted to touch on something that, as we do this college football podcast, and we know that podcast landscapes are, are just, it's changing, right? Everybody has a podcast, it seems. There's thousands of podcasts out there, maybe even more. Maybe I'm shortchanging it, Chris. And <laughs> with college football now, it seems like bowl games are becoming like podcasts, did you see that they're going to add a bowl game at Fenway Park in 2020? This means, Chris, 43 bowl games in 2020. 43. 65% of all college football teams will go to a bowl game. There used to be a time where playing in a bowl game was a special reward. Now, more than half the teams in college football will go bowling. Yeah, I can remember a time when I was younger where there were eight bowl games. And um, boy, do I feel old because, I mean, they've gotten bigger. And, you know, I guess once Yankee Stadium had theirs, it was only a matter of time yeah, Fenway before theirs. Fenway wanted to get into the business. <laughs> but another cold side, I don't know how that's going to be perceived. It could be very frigid. You never know what the weather would be. Yeah, it, listen, it's uh, finding enough teams that uh, – or bowl eligible could uh, be an issue. And you know my feelings about it. We talked about it during the season is, look, it's it's an opportunity to have more practices and have a chance to play. But in terms of it, um, look, I'm not, I'm not one of those that are going to be a curmudgeon and say there are too many, there are too many. Uh, if you can support them and give the kids an opportunity to play, and again, you give the players an opportunity to compete and develop programs particularly that maybe uh, are not the elite programs but are trying to get to that next level, having – that practice time is important. I think they should allow all schools to have practice during that time, frankly. But that's another topic for another day. But I think it's good in that sense. But And listen, um, apparently, you know, they all do well enough to make it. Um, 
but even I would say, man, they, they, they sure are a lot of those things. And I watch them all. Of course you man, do. Yeah, we there's all a lot do. of them. Look, we're college <laughs> football sure nuts. We, we all do. Fenway's going to join Los Angeles and Myrtle Beach as sites for new bowl games in 2020. It's the start of the NCAA's new bowl cycle. Uh, last year, the NCAA's Football Oversight Committee approved the addition of three new bowl games. So that's, this is a record. Most there's ever been 43 bowl games, uh, 43 bowl games this year. So the it's going to be the ACC and the American. Uh, they will play at Fenway Park, and that makes it the third baseball stadium to host a bowl game. Yeah, you mentioned the Yankees uh, pinstripe bowl at Yankee Stadium, and then also uh, Chase Field in Arizona hosts the Cheez-It Bowl, of course, because we love corporate sponsors attached to these bowl games. So (laughs) Cheez-It Bowl, the pinstripe bowl, and now whatever they're going to call this Fenway Park, Fenway Pack Bowl uh, that they're going to have there (laughs) in in Boston. Uh, Some other stories around college football before we get into the recruiting and, and, uh, well, I want to talk about recruiting now. Before we get into the NFL draft recap, LSU has brought in another pretty solid recruit to their 2020 class, an outside linebacker who is pretty highly touted. Chris, tell us about Mr. Sampa. Well, he's uh, a really athletic guy. I, he does a really good job in coverage. Uh, he's got good pursuit speed. Um, he's a really good player. And, you know, they've had, they've got a really good class as uh, Ed Orgeron. Uh, it's a good group. Another good get for them. Uh, they've been a little bit up and down lately with guys decommitting. But they've had uh, a number of guys uh, like this young lad that is really going to help them. So uh, they've done a really nice job. And this 2020 class is shaping up pretty good for the Tigers. Yeah, they got wide receiver Rakeem Jarrett, who's the number 30 prospect in the country. So, um that could, and then uh, there's a cornerback too, who uh, yeah. Elias Ricks is another good player that uh, is going to LSU. We also had a recruit that decided to switch from o- Oklahoma to Alabama. Drew Sanders flipped, and so he is the 37th ranked recruit in the 2020 class. He's been committed to Oklahoma for over a year, well over a year. Now he switches to Alabama. What did Nick Saban do here besides just say, hey, I'm Nick Saban. Come play for me. Well, I think what happens a lot of times is in these situations, you know, the commitments are so early um, that it it just is almost by human nature that a lot of them are not going to hold up. The school may back out on them because of numbers. Uh, The kid may change their mind. Um, there's maybe developing a relationship with one coach and maybe the relationship changes with coaching staff changes. Um, you know, perhaps having a a greater affinity for a guy that's recruiting them at Alabama. Now, all those things kind of factor in to a kid, maybe, you know, switching from, from one to the other. So, um, I, you know, I think that is that is kind of the norm now of guys, you know, committing or or, um, you know, backing out of commitments and going somewhere else. Where is this kid going to play? Because he's um, is he an athlete? What, what is he? What is he ranked at right now? Well, he's a really good athlete. He can really run. I don't know where they plan to play him. Um, Wide you know, receiver, he's, maybe. He's Six, a guy five. that, well, in terms of numbers, um, you know, we'll have to see. And in, in terms of his growth spurt, I mean, he could 
Dalton Mott at wide receiver, see if he can do some uh, grow into a tight end, maybe be a safety. If he, you know, with that frame, I wouldn't be surprised if he's an outside backer type guy. It really depends upon uh, how they view him, how they see him. I've seen a little bit of tape on him, not a whole lot to know whether he has the temperament to play on the defensive side. Well, speaking of Alabama, Chris, they led the nation with 10 draftees this year. In fact, the SEC set a record with the most selections, 64 players drafted, the most by a conference in the common draft era, which began in 1967. This is huge for recruiting. We know that, but just it's another statement about the talent level, not just at Alabama, in the entire Southeastern Conference. Yeah, listen, you know, there's, um, there's a direct correlation to players that are good enough to play in the NFL. Um, and, and if you have a lot of those players on your rosters, uh, you, you're going to be pretty good. I mean, and you look at the programs that had the most players taken, um, you, there's a familiar names. I mean, Alabama, you know, uh, Clemson, Georgia had a good group. You know, Kentucky had a pretty good year. They had five guys. Yeah. Notre Dame, good season at six. Ohio State, nine. O- Oklahoma, eight. Um, you just go down the line. And yet you look at places like USC, only four. Um, you didn't have anybody drafted out of USC or UCLA in the first two rounds. That's the first time that's happened since 1966. That's the first time in the common draft. So, uh, you know, A&M, you see that program getting a little bit better. Now, it's not all, it's not really Jimbo's recruits, but it's seven guys. And Washington, who's doing a nice job in the Pac-12, eight guys. So you look at it. There is a direct quote. It is not the only indicator of how good your program is. But if you have pro prospects on your roster, the more of them you have, the better team you're likely going to be. Now, there are a couple of schools like Ole Miss and Mississippi State that had a lot of players, but their record didn't show it. I mean, Ole Miss with six, Mississippi State with five. And, you know, you kind of look at them and you wonder, hey, Tells you a little bit that that they not be able defensively. Ole Miss wasn't very good. A lot of big time playmakers on offense. Mississippi State couldn't get quite get it done. Uh, but look at the players that they had, particularly on defense. Mm-hmm. So I think it is telling if you watch it. And there's no question that the SEC continues to be you know uh, head and shoulders at 64 players. The next biggest was the Big Ten at 40, and then uh, the Pac-12 with 33, and uh, the ACC with 28 and the big 12 with 26 and you know you look at clemson i mean clemson the impact of the players that they had taken off that defensive line alone um was really huge so um and there's no question it gives you a good feel for kind of where the programs are the type of programs you recruit and players that you develop and as i said last week it just is a great great recruiting tool to be able to know that um, you've got all those players that you recruit and particularly at that position uh, it is a big time recruiting tool as we kind of uh, went over the young man that uh, recruited from clemson last week that's a big time defensive lineman Mm -hmm. they got a lot to replace there but they're recruiting very well at that position as well as uh, every other well how about this Dabo Swinney earning that 10-year 93 million dollar deal he has 11 first round picks since he took over at Clemson Mm -hmm. that equals the number of first round picks from Clemson from 1985 till he got there 
So he's had the same amount in the time that he's been there. And he now has the second most first round picks of any ACC head coach in conference history. He has 11 behind Bobby Bowden's 25 first round picks. And for Nick Saban, 34 of his players taken in the first round of the NFL draft, the most of any coach in the common draft era. Joe Paterno had 32 and we just mentioned Bobby Bowden. It's just unbelievable how many first round players these coaches are getting to go to their schools. And and it's the reason why college football is um the, the most blue blood type, you know, uh, uh programs teams that they are. There's very few teams that can compete for national championships. And it's and it's those teams. Uh and it's because of the talent level. Now it used to be, you know, for example, Miami was putting a ton of them in. Well guess what? When Miami was putting all those players in, they were playing and competing for national championships. They're not putting the the, the name the same amount of players nowhere near close to it, and they're not competing at a high level either. So I, I think you can kind of you know see a theme with the teams that do the best job there and develop those players. Um, the, the end result's pretty good, and that's why you can pretty much pick within reason. Um, you know who's going to be in the national playoffs each year. And how about this? You want to talk about not just schools recruiting or whatnot but recruiting hotbeds. Broward County, Florida, four players drafted in the first round from high schools in the area. Devin Mm -hmm. Bush, Brian Burns, Nick Bosa, Marquise Brown, all played high school football in Broward County. Well, it's it's been a uh, a hotbed for a long time. They've had a lot of players, and um, it's it's you know they've just had a big time success there. The population base, that the athletes that come through that Broward County has always been. I recruited that area for a while, and it is uh, man, you can just throw a rock, and there are players all over the place within you know one um, one end of the town to the other. Mm-hmm. Well, we talk about the players that are that were drafted, and congratulations to to all the players that will be taking their talents to the NFL level, but we know, Chris, there are a lot of players who did not get phone calls this weekend, and yes, some of them are going to be a part of the the free agency process that begins now after the draft, but when you look at the amount of early enrollees to the draft, we're talking about guys that left college early to test the NFL waters, there's a large amount of them that did not get that phone call this weekend, and it continues to show the increasing problem with the evaluation and the advice that these kids are getting year in and year out because it doesn't equal, like we've said in the past, the amount of picks that there are available. Well, the evaluation is sound. It's just whether they're willing to listen to it or in many cases. Um, but the grading is not the, what the grading. Like, you know, like we've talked about how, you know, there could be 60, 70 players that get second round grades. Well, there's only 32 second round picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and but, it, you know, a lot of them are told that they're likely to be taken and a lot lower, but they still come out anyway. Mm-hmm. So the biggest problem that I see is that a lot of kids, unfortunately, stop going to class in the spring. So the football season gets over. They just go in the mold of I'm going to prepare for the draft. And they don't they, they either. Well, they usually enroll in class and don't go to class. They enroll in class, get their stipend and they don't go to class. And so many of them w- are not eligible. They haven't been to class. They won't pass. 
Uh, and that's a problem. We, we've got to have a strong commitment to uh, getting these kids uh, to understand the importance of staying in school. It seems like a common sense thing, but common sense is not playing out here. Um, we're having what we're having now is, as you mentioned, agents telling these kids that they're really good. And in many cases, they're getting them to go and work out at these facilities. And so this is what these kids do. They go to Florida, they go to Arizona, they leave college, and this is what they do all spring. And, you know, the ones that are going to be high picks, you know, the agents are, you know, funding it. And they're, they're certainly having to hope that they get their, you know, their return on their investment. But a, a lot of them don't. So these kids that don't make it um, – what do they have? I mean, they're not eligible to go to back to school. I, I think there needs to be a better education process. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what more to do because having been a part of it, they're given the right information. They're told that it is unlikely that you're going to be drafted to many of these. They still come out anyway or they they're they're past that point to where no return to where they can't go back to school. And that has to change. And, and, and people have asked me, well, you know, how do they go back? They should be allowed to go back to school. Go back to school for what? If they haven't been in class all spring, they're not going to be eligible. Um, that's a problem. The other thing is, you know, if you could get them to stay in school, uh, they would have to train at their school and, and all of that. And again, this has become, you know, a big time business where you got to go train out at a facility now. And well, that's fine for the ones that are given high draft grades, but the others need to stay in school, work out at their facility at school and go to class. And, you know, the, the thought has been, well, let's do it like the NBA. And if they don't sign an agent, they could go back. The problem is, and the difference is in football, the calendar, the college football slash NFL draft, the college football recruiting slash NFL draft calendar is quite a bit different than the college basketball recruiting calendar versus the NBA draft. So the colleges would have a hard time dealing with it because they need to know by the time they put their recruiting classes in February together, who's going to be there, who's coming back and who's not. And if they're gone, they're using your scholarship to sign someone else. So they've got no place for you. So even if you don't get drafted and you, maybe you're in school, you don't, where do you go? You don't have a home. Um, that is the biggest problem that I see. And I have a concern about it. I don't have the answer. The answer is education. The answer is to get them to listen. The, 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 the answer is to get them to live in reality, not a false reality, and to listen to the people that matter. Their coaches on their staff have access to NFL people to get you the right information. If you choose not to listen to it, then you're making a huge mistake that you're going to learn the hard way at this stage, your football career is over because you have no college football to go back to. You're not involved in camp. And oh, by the way, every every one of these undrafted free agents have a little bit more competition this year because you have the Alliance League castoffs that are also vying for those bottom of the uh -huh, roster spots uh -huh. in the NFL. So now you're dealing with you don't have a minor league to, to go to. The XFL, perhaps we'll see if they'll survive, but uh, if they can get going and then survive. But, you know, there's just no way for them to go. And that is a problem. And this is why education and getting them to understand, 
get your degree. Get as close to your degree as possible, for goodness sakes. Um, if you don't have a college degree today, it's like, you know, back you know, 30 years ago, not having a high school degree. Where are you going to be in the job market in the real world if you don't have a degree? And you've got a chance with a scholarship to take advantage of that. And you're going to blow it uh, for maybe a shot in the dark. And now your scholarship is done. You have no degree. And then what do you do? You maybe can't even afford to go back to school. This is, I would call this a real true tragedy of kind of the youth of young football players that are not taking the proper advice. And I don't know what to do. I mean, you know, shake them silly until they, I I don't know. It's a frustrating thing that, um, well, I've been involved in on the advisory board enough to where, you know, I just, I just don't know what you can do other than to be honest, try to help, try to create the worst case scenario for them and the best case scenario, and to get them to understand you need to plan for the worst case scenario, plan for the worst, hope for the best. And kids just don't do that today. And unfortunately, we deal with that every year. And the numbers of uh, declarations of players are up every year. And you got a gap of 30, 40 players that are not even drafted. Well, I'm telling you, it's not going to change unless these players start making some money. And it's just it's not because you're you're basically these kids don't want to hear that they might not get drafted or or they might be a free agent and they might be a practice squad or whatever. They just want to hear, will I get paid? And unfortunately, that's what it's all about for some of these kids who don't go to class and who don't care about the education, who are wasting their the time and, and they're just there to play football and then earn a paycheck. And if they're not getting paid at the collegiate level, which we know they're not right now, uh, and it's not going to change anytime soon, well, they're going to jump and declare early because they see the money. And and the agents that are going to tell them, hey, I'll get you the money. Don't worry. We're going to get it. That's all they're seeing, Chris. And it's not going to change until something changes at the collegiate level. Well, you know, you would think at this point, after watching other people making the same mistake that they would get it because the reality is they're they're not going to see the money and they're being sold a bill of goods that's just not reality many of them and you know that's the problem and you know there, there's nobody because those guys are not getting subsidized by agents only uh-huh. the top guys are yeah. so you know it's it's a problem it, it is a big problem and i understand hold on to your dream but for goodness sakes have multiple dreams Go to school, get an education, take advantage of that. Because, I, listen, I, I get it. Increase the stipend is fine. Um, th- th- these scholarships are worth an awful lot. And a lot of people that don't have scholarships that are paying off student debt, um, it, it, you don't have that. I mean, you, you're not going to have that. You're not going to have that that struggle. You can get a free education and get a degree. And if you don't take that opportunity, then you're going to look back with an, with an awful amount of regret. And every year we're seeing it, and I just can't for the life of me, can't see how they don't see others that they know that went through that. And there but for the grace of God go I, so why don't I do something different in my life and maybe be more productive and then increase my chances of perhaps 
getting a shot in the NFL. I mean, if you're not a, considered a first-round pick, I mean, okay, if you think you can go second round and you're comfortable with that, but if you can improve your stock, this is the developmental league, college, and you can get a college degree. And I think it's pretty sad when we look at it as, oh, but they're getting nothing. Man, that that tells you right there in society, in, in, in the media as a whole, basically telling kids that they're getting nothing. Um what does that say about the belief and the ignorance of society to to look at a college education as nothing? I mean, yep. that's pretty sad. Now, could they increase the stipend, give them more, perhaps? But to think that they're getting nothing is absolutely foolish. And I, I think that we're sending the wrong message. And I think it's I think you're right. It's being heard. It's being heard like we own we're owed something, and I'm I'm going to get my opportunity. They don't in many cases. The large percentage do not make it. And then then what? And the answer is they don't really have another option. What'd you make of this uh, saga between Eric Dickerson and Mike Leach, where Eric Dickerson tweeted out that basically insinuating Mike Leach talked down uh, James Williams because he decided to skip his senior season. And that's why he wasn't drafted and he wound up signing with the Chiefs as a free agent. And then Mike Leach basically said uh, that they wish the best for their players and futures. And he said, quote, the NFL doesn't tell us who to recruit and we don't tell them who to draft, end quote. So that was the only statement that Mike Leach would say in response to Eric Dickerson. But what did you make of that whole? Well, first of all, I, I think that, you know, there again. Somebody's always looking for somebody to blame because I'm really the I'm really great in somebody bad mouthing. It, it, look, it, it, the NFL is is about getting the best players that they can, and if you look at players that have had, you know, off the field issues and given chances, uh, if you can play, people are going to be interested in you. They do your their homework. Uh, do they talk to head coaches, position coaches, assistant coaches about players? Absolutely. Uh, can a negative word hurt a player? Perhaps. But I can tell you this. Uh, I don't rely just on one coach that may say something bad because the per the personality mix may not be quite that. Uh -huh. I go independently and find out more and get to the bottom of it. And, you know, sometimes um, – you know, Mike has got a quirky personality, so I, I don't I don't buy that. That's why he wasn't drafted. He wasn't drafted because it's a numbers game, and there are more good players in their spots to get drafted. And if this guy was an elite player, uh, you would basically have to provide a uh, a criminal record report to prevent a player to get drafted if he was really that good. Um, can it certainly hurt a little bit? Yes, but only in a sense of it raises a red flag. You got to do more homework on the player. And then you can find out if, well, there's really nothing wrong there, just a personality issue, maybe between the two people. Or, yeah, the guy is hard to coach, hard to get along with, because not everybody, you know, gets along and likes Mike Leach either. So people in football know that. So I, I, I disagree with, with the fact that that's the reason he wasn't. Um, might it, not, did it help? No, but I don't, I don't buy that. So the draft is over now, and obviously the free agent period is beginning. We know about how these 
players being drafted affect recruiting when it comes to the colleges that they played for and the coaches being at the draft is just another selling point, right? I mean, you see uh, Lincoln Riley hugging Kyler Murray, Lincoln Riley hugging Baker Mayfield. You know, this is just a good publicity event for these college coaches to attend. What's the next step now for these college coaches, whether it is recruiting or whether it is turning their attention towards preparing for a training camp this summer? Well, May's big recruiting month. So, I mean, it last couple of weeks and the next couple of weeks are big, big recruiting months. So, uh, that's and are you that's parlaying the, that NFL draft success into this recruiting? Oh, period? of course, of course, absolutely. And one of the things you do when you go in and you, you know, now, now let me say this: in, in May, it's a big going to the schools, going to the campuses to look at players, high schools, to decide who you want to offer, make decisions on players. But certainly when you go in and and you have, you know, been on TV and saw a number of your players walk across the skate stage and get drafted in the NFL and you know, if you played in the national playoffs, I mean, all that stuff has tremendous impact. But it's about relationships. And the big thing in, in recruiting is developing relationships with the kids, the the families um, of the kid, and, and that's usually wins out. And it, the kids want to go where they have an opportunity to compete and, you know, get the whole American dream of playing college football. So uh, that's what's going on right now, and, and it's huge uh, as spring practice is put to bed. And, and you know, Wedgie is the guys that are not on the road They'll spend time beginning to work on a lot of the offseason work. In addition to recruiting, the thing that's done is in June, you start to have these camp, these junior camps. These are big. I'm talking nine, 10-year-old kids. Uh, these, This is where if kids have some ability. You start to develop relationships with them. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Nick Saban you know, had the hip surgery when he did. Because people say, oh, well, he's got time because August is the – no, no, no. He wants to be out there at junior camps with eight years old because that's that's when he first met Landon Collins. <laughs> he started recruiting him when the kid was eight years old. Now, he didn't know he was going to develop in quite the player, but you go out there and you work those kids hard. You They, they pay the money to go to the camp and learn something. You teach them. You, you see their attitude. You see their – you know, they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, so they're not – ready to be quote-unquote recruited but you can start to see a little bit about their personality you meet course, the parents you know, the as well you know yeah yeah you know but you know kids they're not personality is going to be different at 13 and 8 but you get to know them and you develop a relationship and then of course you have different camps and so you have the the younger then you have the guys that are high school kids that come into these camps so this is a not only a teaching part, but it is also a, an evaluation part in these camps to see who can play, who is coachable, and it's big. And very often when you have those camps, you bring them in and you offer them a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that that's a big thing that's done. So uh, a lot of work is being done on recruiting, preparation for those camps, um, and then also you split some time you're working on next year's opponents. I mean, you know who your opponents are. You begin breaking down film, maybe a little bit each day of a different opponent. You you spend some time as a staff working on things. Uh, if you've got, obviously, new coaches on your staff, those guys spend extra time. So there's not a lot of downtime um, as the May, June, July months are really big, first in recruiting in camps, and then you really start to prepare for you know the upcoming season looking together opponents 
gone through your practice schedule, the things that you want to focus on, you certainly go through every single rep of every spring practice that you've had with a fine tooth comb to try to determine, all right, some things that we need to do a little differently, improve upon so that you focus on some things uh, when you start your your fall practice. Right. Uh, it comes before you know it, trust me, and it's a lot of work that needs to be done in preparation for all those things. Yeah, and if fans want to stay on top of the college recruiting period, well, they can look no further than LandryFootball.com. Free agency, post-draft analysis, the recruiting, the coaching moves, roster analysis on both the college and the NFL teams, and the latest scoop on both the college and the program, all at LandryFootball.com. Chris, I know you're hard at work now that the NFL draft is in the rearview mirror. Absolutely. We've been breaking down rosters. For example, I got through Alabama spring practice tape, uh, breaking down their entire roster by position, scouting reports on every player. So you're going to want to look for that. We're going to get through as many of these college programs as we can, get you ready for the college season. So uh, you want to check us out at LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of that scouting season special. And yeah, the, the spring practice may be over, the draft may be over, but the breakdowns of all these rosters and to begin to really look and hone in on all these teams this is a great opportunity to get involved to get prepared for the football scene the football season uh, better than you ever have before yeah and be sure to click the podcast page because you get new episodes of all the different audio offerings on landryfootball.com and sign up for the free war room newsletter Go to LandryFootball.com. Give us your email because you get inside information that's not available for publication and tell us where you heard about us, which you heard about it right here. Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Until next time, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, Scott. Have a great one. This is a Sitting Ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week on Sitting Ringside, going to do a little Q&A. Got your questions through Twitter. Thank you for asking them. Going to talk about uh, my favorite match in WCW. Going to talk about an interesting airplane ride with Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner. A little insight into the tough man they call Ming. Also going to talk about my least favorite gimmick match to announce and the most exciting announcement I ever made as a new WCW or TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Then we're going to bring Stevie Ray on, doing his first appearance anywhere since being inducted into the Hall of Fame, doing, giving us an overview of the entire Hall of Fame experience directly from the man himself. It should be interesting stuff. Never talk to a Hall of Famer to go through the whole day-by-day, hour-by-hour of the Hall of Fame induction. Looking forward to that. Be sure to download and listen wherever podcasts are found and subscribe if you can. Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.